This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, December 29th. I'm Gavin McGough. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Holiday Week marks Telski's Super Bowl. Alpine Chapel celebrates 50 years of ministry. A look back, Kodo gets kooky. And a mountain weather forecast. While the holidays might bring time off for some, for ski resort workers, both here and across Colorado, it's full steam ahead. Yeah, Christmas, New Year's is, for the industry as a whole, is kind of considered our, the industry's Super Bowl um, time frame. It's, it's, the, it's the biggest impact across, across the industry on a traditional basis historically. Our destination markets, most of them don't seem to be returning to work and school you know, until that that second week of January on the 8th. That's Carson Taylor, Director of Mountain Sales with Telski. Resort visitation and skier traffic here in Telluride experienced a bit of a lull the week before Christmas, Taylor reports. However, with that said, the resort visitation over the past couple days has begun to trend in a more traditional direction. Based on that, we, we do expect typical holiday impacts to the resort through the weekend and definitely into the first week of the new year. As those numbers increase to typical holiday levels, the resort will be serving some six or 7,000 skiers each day. This holiday bump comes despite paltry snowfall in the San Juans. Latest data shows the Telluride area has received only 60 or so percent of its typical accumulations for December. A couple weeks ago, the mountain was struggling to piece together terrain and open lifts, says Young. I mean, the temps leading up to the last winter storm provided challenges to, you know, snowmaking and terrain expansion efforts. Uh, fortunately, we did receive timely snowfall just before the holidays, you know, and, and that ex- extended cold snap thereafter, which which was excellent. You know, it afforded our Mountain Ops teams the opportunity to, to make additional progress. That critical winter storm late last week and the dipping thermometer of late has allowed the ski area to open all of its lifts except for 15 and has even unroped some hike-to terrain above Prospect Bowl. Today, Friday, the resort opened Telluride Trail, providing intermediate skier access down into town. Despite logging some successes, Taylor is eyeing the forecast, and it's looking somewhat grim. It looks like it's going to stay pretty pretty high and dry for a while. We have some small disturbances coming through, but none of the models at this time from from what I've interpreted from Ski Patrol's reports and what I look at on my own don't align to any real substantial winter events in the short or long term. Still early season conditions out there, so you know, trying to curb your enthusiasm. Out on the hill, what's the mood during Telluride's busiest week of the year? If Taylor is apologetic over early season conditions, skiers are unfazed. High traffic areas, maybe a little patch of, you know, ice here or there. But, you know, I think considering the lack of snow, was it wasn't too bad. Having an awesome day. That's Natalie Stewart in from Cincinnati. Adrian Danhauser, who's from New York and usually skis back on the East Coast, has also noticed the meager snowfall. But standing at the bottom of lift four in the midday sun, she says no matter. It feels like spring skiing with less snow, <laughs> but there's still enough of the mountain open to, to do it up, you know, and uh, certainly better than what I'm used to. Kristen Farkas, the director of guest services with the resort, is also out absorbing the scene in sunglasses and a big yellow tell ski jacket. 
looking at the hustle and bustle, Farkas says, Anytime the sun is out, we're having a fun time. So, yeah, and this team is hard at work making sure that the conditions are as prime as they possibly can be day in and day out. So, but yeah, I would say it's a good, pretty good busy day here on the hill. Skiing is skiing, after all. And Dan Hauser sums it up. My heart sings on all these moguls, and I feel really lucky and grateful to be here. Telski's annual tradition, a torchlight parade down the mountain's front side into town, is on the books once again for New Year's Eve. Look for the Parade of Lights at 6.30 p.m. on Sunday with fireworks to follow. From bluegrass to mountain film and the ski resort, the past few years have brought a plethora of 50th anniversaries. Nestled in downtown Telluride, the congregation at Alpine Chapel is also recognizing 50 years of community and worship. When I first found Alpine Chapel, I think Susan and my wife and I were the eighth and ninth adults. And for many years, we'd come to Alpine Chapel on Sunday morning and there'd be about 10 people. Not much uh, was being taught. Not much was, there was not much offered or received. It's hard in a very, very small church like that. That's Richard Grice, a member at the church. Today, if you come to Alpine Chapel, it's very different. It's a very, very different. When, I, if I, when I'm occasionally asked to step to the front of the church and gazed out over it and, and say anything, I'm pretty well stunned into tears because it's staggering. It's almost standing room only. Pastor Connor Kraft says it's an exciting time for the congregation and the church. We are really standing on the shoulders of giants. And we there are people that have gone before us who have created this incredible legacy and been, you know, creating a foundation here in Telluride of this community that worships Jesus. And so it's been an incredible honor to be a part of it. And it's just so exciting. And who knows what's going to happen in the future, but we're excited for what's going to happen. Alpine Chapel holds services on Sundays in addition to a number of groups and Bible studies throughout the month. It also runs The Well, a cafe in the basement of the church, providing free coffee for the community. Sky Messer, worship pastor at Alpine Chapel, says it's an opportunity to engage with the community in a different setting. You know, our heart is not to be closed off, but we understand that, yeah, when we invite people to church, they're probably not going to come to church, honestly. You know, so we wanted to create a space where we can really have uh, a contact point for um, to really bless our town with coffee because we love that, and uh, but also just because we really wanted to create a space where over a beverage maybe there could be um, a revelation of, man, this God is, I thought one way about this God, and I was blown away by what was actually revealed to me in Jesus. It's no question that Christianity, religions of all kind, have been and still can be the source of discrimination and hurt. But for Heidi Koenig, another member at Alpine Chapel, that's not the Christianity she sees in her life. Ours is not to judge, but to forgive and love unconditionally. So we can look back at forefathers in Christianity and go, oh, my Lord, what were you thinking? How did you let that happen? You know, and we yet carry under that banner our responsibility because we associate with the same um, God. Pastor Isam Itzam adds his God gives space when people don't act their best. And hopefully that gives us the time to come to our senses, or not. 
And so Christians in that are just like anybody else. The need to be honest about sometimes, amazing. Sometimes, incredibly selfish and self-serving to the worst degree. And God loves us anyway. It's beyond me. At its heart, Pastor Kraft says God is about finding the good in others and stepping up for the people in your life. To me, God is love. He is the definition of love. And the Bible says, greater love has no man than this, than one who lays his life down for friends. And that's what my God did for me. And it is the greatest expression of love that I have ever experienced or will ever experience. And so when I think of God, I think of love. The members of Alpine Chapel can't be sure how long the church will stay in Telluride, but Messer looks forward to seeing the community they've built over the last 50 years continue to flourish. I believe that these last 50 years is, is proof that God is doing incredible things and that also he's just so good. He's so faithful. And my prayer is that the next 50, we don't lose sight of ourselves and think it's all about us, but we can continue to make it about Jesus, which it always has been. And we can, it'll hopefully far outlive us. Alpine Chapel celebrates its 50th anniversary on Sunday, December 31st. It offers church services every Sunday. The Well Cafe is open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, providing free coffee for the community. As 2023 draws to a close, KOTO News is looking back and rerunning some of the big stories, or at least our favorites, from the last year. Today, we're rewinding to August when the Purple House on Pine hit a milestone on its way to world domination. On a mountainside overlooking Ure, the wind rustles through aspen leaves. We're about 9,200 feet in elevation above Ure, Colorado on the western slope. That's Dustin Fisher, caretaker at Gold Mountain Ranch. Surrounding us for as far as the eye can see. Pretty much nothing but the San Juan Mountain Range. <laughs> Perched on the mountain is a home, old mining ruins, a Via Ferrata, and also a new radio tower. KOTO Radio is expanding its signal to reach Ure and Ridgeway. This tower will make that happen. KOTO purchased the tower last January, I believe. Um, we picked it up in February, hauled it up the mountain. Um, we had to wait for the snow to melt off. We had about two or three feet of snow at the time. Um, once the snow melted off, we got a concrete contractor in here to come and install the concrete. Once the uh, cement once the was cured, was local climbers came in to assemble then, uh, the actual tower. I think the only thing we have left to do is to install the actual equipment for the radio station. KOTO Executive Director Kara Pallone says expanding the signal to Ridgeway has been a goal for the radio station for years. But the FCC doesn't really open filing periods very often. And so when one came about in 2021, Ben was like, we should do this. And so we did. We took that opportunity to apply for um, a permit, a construction permit from the FCC, and we were granted that approval in December 2021. Per the FCC... That's the Federal Communications Commission. KOTO has three years to build the tower and have the signal go live. Pallone says the radio station is in phase two of that development. A lot has been done, but there's still a ways to go. We're just taking it piece by piece and, you know, trying to stick to a timeline that will get us on the air in 2024. 
Still, she says the tower going up is an exciting milestone. You know, just getting the tower up there was such a huge process. Like we, the de- we couldn't, we, there wasn't a delivery truck big enough to even get it to, to the location, let alone up the mountain. And so there's just been so much coordinating that's been done. And so to, t- to see it go up over the last couple of weeks has just been a huge moment for Kodo. With the new location, the new tower, KOTO will also add new call letters. Staff decided on K-O-O-K, Ridgeway. KOTO did a survey to determine the best location to place the tower and gauge where the frequency will go. Station manager Ben Kerr says he's excited to see just how far the signal will travel. You can't really tell exactly where it's going to go. There's always some surprises as to, uh, oh, I didn't expect to get it here, you know. So it'll be interesting to see. It'll be really exciting to put the signal up, turn it on, and then you just drive around and say, where is it, where is it going? Where, we, where can we get it? And then you'll hear from people that in strange locations, they go, well, I'm getting it really good here. According to the Pew Research Center, over the past two decades, there has been a major decline in the number of news outlets serving local audiences. Pallone says the expansion to Ridgeway with KOOK will allow Kodo to keep the region from becoming a news desert. We want to build a foundation that would prevent that from ever happening in our region. Journalism is extremely important right now. We're independent journalism. And um, to maintain that and make sure that everyone is getting the information and education that they need is, you know, of a top priority of ours. We're also one of the only, I think the only local source of local news in both English and Spanish. So just being inclusive of all of our communities and making sure we're serving everyone equally is very important. Kerr shares the sentiment. Kodo remains fiercely independent for the community it serves. It's pure. I think it's, it, there's nothing really like it. You don't, you don't have to put up with a bunch of advertising and hype and, and disingenuous um, uh, politics and thought and things like that. It's, it's, it's organic. It's, it's real. It's coming from the people. It's coming from the people for the people. So it's, I think it's really important. It's, it's grassroots. It's, it's about people. KOTO plans to be on the air in Ure and Ridgeway in 2024. So, for the time being, this is KOTO Telluride 91.7. But soon... You're listening to KWLK 90.3 Ridgeway. That's awesome! <laughs> For more of Koto's featured stories from the year, go to koto.org and click Featured News Stories under the News tab. In a few short days, 2023 will be out with the old and 2024 will be in with the new. This year, Telluride is ringing in the new year in style with a variety of ways to celebrate. The annual New Year's Eve Torchlight Parade will kick off the festivities with ski and snowboard instructors heading down the mountain, torches in hand. The parade will begin at 6.30 p.m. on Sunday and will be visible on both sides of the mountain. Fireworks will follow, best viewed from Mountain Village Center. In Telluride, music will abound with the Motortown All-Stars at the Sheridan Opera House, the Gold Kings at the Telluride Historic Bar, DJ Harry spinning the tunes at the Elks Lodge, the Telluride Arts HQ Gallery will feature DJ Castle, BRX will be at O'Bannon's, and DJ Kid Peace will be at the Alibi. 
There's also music on Main Street. A street dance kicks off at 11.30 p.m. And at 11.59 p.m., Master of Ceremonies Mayor Teddy Erico will count down to the new year, followed by fireworks from the roof of the Sheridan Hotel. Following a New Year's Eve night to remember, what better way to kick off the new year than getting into nature? On January 1st, Colorado Parks and Wildlife invites the community to participate in a first-day hike at Colorado's state parks. CPW notes first-day hikes offer a chance to start 2024 off on the right foot by exercising in nature. At Ridgeway State Park, recreators can join a guided hike from 10 a.m. to noon with a one-mile hike on Forest Discovery. Other potential hike options are Pinion Park, Wapiti, Cookie Tree, and Enchanted Mesa. There will be hot cocoa and tea available. The hike is free and will meet at the visitor center, but participants must have a valid state park pass and registration is required. Bring snacks, water, extra clothing, and hiking shoes with good traction. Looking to make some art or spread some gay pride in the new year? Don't hesitate. Your opportunity awaits. Telluride Arts and Gay Ski Week are calling for proposals from queer-identified and allied artists to mount an exhibition during the month of February. Applications are out now on telluridearts.org and are due by end of day on January 15th. Selected proposals will be included in a joint exhibition opening during Art Walk on February 1st at the Telluride Arts HQ Gallery East. The show committee is looking for proposals which consider the context of Gay Ski Week, but is open to diverse mediums and approaches. New work is not required, though the committee hopes for work not previously shown in Telluride. That link for more information, once more, is telluridearts.org. The first year of Governor Jared Polis's second term has been marked by some significant setbacks. KOTO's Lucas Brady Woods reports as Polis looks ahead to the next year, the governor plans to change his approach on one of his key policy issues, housing. Last spring, state lawmakers rejected a bill that was central to the Polis administration's housing policy. The measure would have made sweeping reforms to zoning rules to increase housing density, especially near public transit. Now, Polis says he and the lawmakers who helped craft the bill didn't focus enough on developing that transportation. You can't have a transit-oriented neighborhood without reliable low-cost transit. So I think really tying these together in a vision rather than just talk about the arcane uh, topics that relate to housing. Polis also says he's concerned about the contentious environment at the state legislature. Two first-year Democrats have resigned in just the last few weeks, citing the current vitriolic political atmosphere. Next year's session begins January 10th. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods in Denver. Kwanzaa is a seven-day holiday that celebrates the African first fruits harvest, with each of the seven days signifying one of seven principles of African heritage. It runs from December 26th to January 1st, and in Denver, there are strong community roots to the holiday. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Lindsay Ford of Rocky Mountain PBS brings us this audio postcard. What is special about Kwanzaa, and I think what I would want people to know, 
is that Kwanzaa does not have a religious affiliation. It is a community celebration that has black people in mind. There are many celebrations that are wonderful. All of them are great, but not all of them are inclusive. This is a celebration that has me in mind, has my children in mind, my mother in mind, has our family, our community in mind. And I think that that is what is unique. My name is Deborah Sims Farrard. I am currently the executive director of the Kwanzaa Committee of Denver. We are in Kwanzaa season. A part of my role is just making sure with the community celebrations that there is organization and communication. Kwanzaa is seven principles, and those seven principles are represented by seven candles. One black, three red, three green. The first principle is Umoja, unity. The second principle is Kuji Jakalia, self-determination. The third principle is Ujima, collective work and responsibility. The fourth principle is Ujama, cooperative economics. The fifth principle is Nia, purpose. The sixth principle is Kaumba, creativity. And the last principle is Imani, which is faith. We light a candle each night that represents one of those principles. And we discuss those principles and we talk about how those principles should be carried out personally. Kwanzaa, it's been part of the Denver community since the 60s. We were a home-to-home -home celebration. My mother introduced our family to Kwanzaa from someone else who was doing Kwanzaa in their home, the, the muses. And it was a celebration that went house to house. We didn't know a lot about it. I'm not sure how other cities celebrate their Kwanzaa, but every year we select four out of the community to become one of the uh, Circle of Wisdom elders and we induct them on the first night of Kwanzaa. The other thing that we do that's really unique is the big dance. So the big dance is that time where community gets together and we celebrate the contributions of our music, of our dance, of our talents. And then every night we have a grand canara. And we, as a community, come together to light a candle for each night so that everyone can see it. We're a Kwanzaa town. The Nguza Saba, which is all of the pieces that go with Kwanzaa. You have your Kanara, you have your Makike, the, the mat, you have your seven principles which correlate with seven candles. We start on December 26th, the day after Christmas, to make sure that there is no confusion, that this has no relation to any other special holiday that you may celebrate or any spiritual connotations. This Kwanzaa is significant for me for several reasons. This is the first uh, Kwanzaa that I will have without my mom. That's a different kind of journey. So I believe that because she thought it was so important that I need to continue. <laughs>
All of the principles that Kwanzaa speaks to are principles that are needed from a worldview. I think that Kwanzaa this year holds a unique space and should on everybody's table. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for increasing clouds overnight with a low in the mid-teens. Saturday, expect mostly cloudy skies during the day, followed by more clouds overnight. The high is near 35 degrees with a low around 20. Sun should return for Sunday with a high near 30. Sunday night calls for partly cloudy skies with a low in the mid-teens. This has been the news for Friday, December 29th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. KOTO News will be off on Monday, January 1st for the New Year's holiday. We will be back with our regularly scheduled news programming on Tuesday, January 2nd. And now, personal commentaries. Greetings, Telluride. This is Molly Daniel from the Telluride Historical Museum. Did you know that while festivals have been a part of Telluride's history for 50 years, the tradition of festivals in the state of Colorado dates back to at least the 1890s? The sudden collapse of the silver industry in 1893 devastated Colorado's economy and morale. Miners lost their jobs, businesses went bankrupt, and investors lost fortunes. To make matters worse, just as the price of silver plummeted, a severe drought began to wreak havoc on the state's agriculture. Things were bleak. In 1895, a festival was suggested to boost the mood. The general passenger agent of the Denver and Rio Grande Railroad had the idea of an annual carnival for Denver, an event that would be equal in scope to Mardi Gras in New Orleans and the first of its kind in the West. According to a souvenir booklet in 1895, the goal of the Festival of Mountain and Plain would be to illustrate Colorado's high standing as an agricultural, mineral, and horticultural state. Other prominent citizens expressed favor to the plan, and in the fall of 1895, the Denver Chamber of Commerce put it into action, organizing the new event in about six weeks with a budget of $15,000. An estimated 150,000 people attended the first festival of the Mountain and Plain in October 1895. The diverse programming included a miners' drilling contest, a band contest, races, a football game, an illuminated bike ride, and more. Organizers even brought in trained Mardi Gras artisans from New Orleans to help create magnificent floats and costume characters for the culminating event, a grand parade followed by a pageant and masquerade ball. The event was a huge success, with the Aspen Times going so far as to hail it as the greatest festivities Denver has ever seen. Despite its taking place hundreds of miles away, Telluride had a noticeable presence at the Festival of the Mountain and Plain. The celebrated Telluride Cornet Band took place in the event's band contest from 1895 to 1897. The 29-member ensemble won prizes each time they competed. You might have even seen a historic photo of this Telluride Cornet Band from the museum's collection, featuring the men in the band holding their horns and drums, dressed in suits and hats, standing at the end of the Box Canyon with Bridal Veil Falls flowing behind them. Despite the success of the festival, it came to an end in 1902. There were efforts to bring it back, but high costs and disappointing attendance undermined the attempts, effectively consigning the Festival of the Mountain and Plain to history. 
As you probably know, however, the small isolated box canyon has seen its fair share of festivals over the past 50 years. Come up to the Telluride Historical Museum to check out our annual exhibit, Festival Capital of the Rockies, 50 Years of Festivals in Telluride, on view until April 2024. Don't forget, locals visit free each Saturday. Our winter hours are 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., Tuesdays through Saturdays. This Miner's Minute brought to you by the Telluride Historical Museum. The support of our members is greatly appreciated. We'd love for you to consider becoming a member or gifting a membership to someone special. And of course, thanks to all of you at Kodo, a rare medium well done. Hi, this is Douglas Tooley. It's Friday, December 29th, 2023. Last Friday in my political commentary, I asked the question, what in the world is really going on with the accusations of anti-Semitism and civil rights violations on American college campuses against those that stand for Palestinian rights, including the presidents of MIT, Penn, and Harvard? Could it be that the religious claims to the land of Israel don't stand up to even the slightest bit of historical and archaeological scholarship? Per the research of Israel Finkelstein and many others, the nation of Israel did not form until 800 BC. A nation may be even stretched, more of a mid-sized village of David and Solomon formed from Canaanite goat and sheep herders who had learned to store water. Everything before that is made up. Personally, I speculate if it was not a priest who went up on a mountain and saw God after burning some bush rather than God in a burning bush. It was not long after this that the first Jewish diaspora occurred, the second in 70 AD, not all that long after Israel had reformed. Curiously, yours truly was attacked twice, similarly to how today's progressive students are now. The first was in 1983 in undergraduate school, shortly after the African National Congress's Oliver Tambo, Mandela's law partner, contacted me in regards to some small but significant work on apartheid, South African apartheid divestment. The second was in 1993 in grad school, including by the Jewish city attorney for Bellwaller, Seattle, Mark Sidron. He fashioned himself a democratic Giuliani. The successor to the South African divestment movement was BDS. Boycott, divest, and sanction Israel for their Palestinian apartheid. Many U.S. states have passed laws against this on the false grounds of anti-Semitism. Then in 2016, we had a series of false allegations against the young supporters of the progressive Jewish candidate Bernie Sanders. Could it be that these attacks are all to some degree related? In any case, we need to get out of the Middle East for strategic interest that no longer exists and the irrational pursuit of which will only lead to the extension of the human species, just as certainly as nuclear holocaust. And in 2024, in the 2024 election, we need to get those who would politically rape our young adults to maintain their unwise power out of office. Happy New Year. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact the staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.